Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing. <laughs> but we us. just decided we weren't going to talk about but, those things. <laughs> you just don't even mean what you say. I don't. You're just th- in that, a. That's in our a, intro. Yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> sorry. No, it's all good. Well, we had decided, A, that we need to record a quicker podcast so that you can pick up your son, um, that we get to record a quicker podcast, and um, that we wanted to just sort of set our uh, pattern aside today and talk about two things, um, the first of which is what? I have no idea. Stop it. Stop it. Yes, you do. Well, first, we just wanted to talk about anxiety and discouragement in yes. uh, our lives and in the um, communities we serve and in the culture at large and just how how those things are manifesting right now for, for both of us and probably for most pastors and um so I don't know, do you want to sort of do an intro into why we were thinking about that? Well, for myself, I got up this morning um, and went to bed last night uh, just deeply discouraged, if not just plain old depressed. And uh, my wife even said something this morning, um, and uh, I've been meditating. When I get into this place, I my, my go-to uh, is the psalm that says, why so mm-hmm, downcast, mm-hmm. O my soul, put your hope mm-hmm. in God. Um, and the psalmist says, I will yet praise him. So the, um, the psalmist has this future orientation. It will it will be okay. Mm-hmm. But right now, my soul is discouraged and downcast. And um, primarily for me, it's it's... It's the challenge of ministry these days that um, uh, even though I know, I know, I know, I should not be moved by, have my hope in, have my joy centered around numbers. But for quite some time, I mean, the numbers are down on Sunday. The numbers are down in terms of giving. It's a hard, it's just a hard time to be in church leadership. And when um, when you have all of these challenges, not just in terms of numbers, but also still a challenge of advancing the ministry and this pressure to do so, it's very easy for everyone, for most people, for a lot of people in the church to become anxious, to become fearful. Mm-hmm. It's like, what does the future hold? And you you look at the church down the street or across town, and it seems that they're doing it so, if not well, better than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's wrong with us? What's wrong with me? And it can become this weight of, uh, both as a pastor and for uh, those who are in the church. And before you know it, you have a community of people that loves each other, that wants to be there, that loves Jesus, and yet is filled with anxiety. Yeah, I I think... um... And I will just say, like, it's just funny. And, and this happens pretty frequently, actually, um, I feel like, in our friendship that 
um, we, we both have sort of good seasons and bad seasons at the same time, which is helpful. Um, yeah, I, I think I have been really struggling with a lot of just discouragement lately as well. And, um, and I think what's helpful for me is just knowing, honestly, right now there, there's so much going on in the Grove, um, that is just really good. I mean, like, right now our numbers are not down and right now we have people you know coming and joining the community our our giving is down but i also like things are hard right now and um i think what what is what's helpful i think about that to recognize is i think one of the things like when you're going through a hard time it's really easy in ministry just to think like well if i hit this number in the budget or if i had these many people in the pews then everything would be okay. And I would be able to enjoy and have hope and just, you know, not worry. And I think it's really helpful to know what does not seem true, but absolutely is true. Like, I do not know a pastor who does not think that their church should be bigger, (laughs) should, needs more money. Like, I mean, there's just no, I, I have a really good friend, um, who I just admire so deeply, who's a pastor in, um, Alabama and he um is part of my clergy group and I mean he he his church is a mega church he started it and um it just he's incredibly gifted and incredibly faithful and like his ministry has been incredibly fruitful and um we were sharing at one point and he was talking about um having I think having 5000 people in worship and looking at people in his congregation who were leaving to go to the church that had 10,000 in worship and just really feeling um, like deep discouragement and um, rejection and dejection, which I totally identify with on a human level. Like I get it. Um, But also you just like, oh, what that shows me is it's not like feeling at peace because there's enough money or enough people in the room, like that's a sucker's game because it will never be enough. Mm. And so I think it's just really important. It's not that the money in the budget doesn't matter because it does and we have to be good stewards. And it's not like we ever want to stop thinking and looking and paying attention to like, Hey, are we inviting folks? Hey, are we welcoming folks? Hey, are, is growth happening? Are we sharing this treasure we have? Like we always want to have, I think, holy urgency around that but um recognizing that our our peace and the source of our joy and love for one another cannot come from those externalities because then we'll never have it because we'll always be waiting for some day in the future where it's when we're allowed to love each other and trust god and and that day will never come like the truth is and i don't like this i just I I just feel like the Lord has shown me this the hard way. Um, The truth is we have what we need to be faithful right now and we don't get to control the outcome. (laughs) And our choice is um, challenging, but simple. We choose to serve God today or not. (laughs) We choose to serve God where we are or not. And we choose to give to God the gifts we have or not. Um, and I think that, you know, we live in a culture that's constantly teaching us to, um, evaluate, like, is it worth it? (laughs) 
Um, and, and, and it's easier to sort of to feel like the resources that we can see and touch and control are the only resources that are. <laughs> and we live in a culture that motivates people very well through um, threat and withholding love and belonging. And it's just really tempting to bring that back inside our congregations. And because we love Jesus and because we love our church and because we love each other, because it's so serious and important to us, we feel like we have to um, operate in anxiety. Like we, we have to, um, just really pay attention to, um, everything that we see that is wrong, that could be better, that should be better in our eyes. And we have to tell people, um, what's wrong with them and why what they're doing isn't good enough so that they'll be motivated to do better so that the church will become what it needs to be so that we can be in Christian community together forever. Right. And it's just this really, um, and I think as a pastor, it's hard because I don't, I, I'm not a Pollyanna. I'm not even an optimist. And so you, you want to remain deeply, um, connected to looking at challenges, um, and having brave conversations and generative conflict. That's a new phrase I learned that I love, like generative conflict to understand like, Hey, we really have to talk about things that are that concern us. Um, and because that's the way that we share and receive truth. Um, but, but we can't do it in a spirit of anxiety. And that's so hard because our whole human culture operates on anxiety. And, um, and so I, I, I think it's really hard as a pastor, we were talking about this because, um, we, I get a lot of, um, and I'm grateful for it. Like, uh, I, I need words of affirmation. That's my love language. And I, and I get them generally when it comes to my preaching or when it comes to like direct pastoral care that I give to people. Um, but because there's a lot of anxiety in the church, because there's a lot of anxiety in the world <laughs> and because we've worked really hard to make our community a place where people are allowed to be real and tell the truth. Um, what I get feedback from people around me is just like the, really the only conversations I ever have with anybody about the church, um, unless they're newcomers, um, but the people who are invested in the church, uh, they only talk to me about what is wrong. And that's really discouraging as a pastor because because it is. Um, well, over time, it's it's hard not to internalize it. Well, right, because the church is personal to me. And because, honestly, um, I just, you know, we are the servant leaders. And so it's very fair, for very fair and faithful for people to come to us and share their concerns about the church. It's very fair and very faithful and necessary. And also when all the feedback that you're getting from people all the time is only what's wrong, then it feels like nothing is right because everything that's good goes unnamed. Um, and everything that is right is just sort of, you know, dismissed. And that's like evolutionary, right? Like we are just, we have a cognitive bias towards the negative. Um, but it's really hard to keep, showing up for one another 
when your experience is, well, nothing is, nothing's good enough. And, um, that that's really hard because we, we, we operate in our natural lives being constantly told that nothing's good enough and catastrophe is just around the corner. And what we need is to be able to find a community in Christ that's centered on, like we sang this great song on Sunday, like, um, you know, God, um, God is, uh, gosh, now the chorus was like, just think about it. Like God is on the throne. Just think about it. Like basic, that's not the right lyric, but I mean, it's just talking about the sovereignty of the God. Like God is reigning. Like, like the, the powers and principalities have been defeated. Like just think about that. And then from that context, you look at whatever situation is in front of us. Um, and it, it just changes your orientation that you can come to a, a problem or a challenge without existential dread, right? Like you don't feel like, oh gosh, if I don't, if I don't show up, you know, in my A plus form, then it's all going to fall apart and it's my fault. Right. And, um, and I think like, because we have so much unlearning to do about how to be blessings to one another, like, you know, we live in a kind of tough world, tough love world, right? Like, um, I was just listening to something about welfare reform and just basically this idea that like, well, you can't help people. Um, you know, you can't help families in need because they'll take advantage of you. So you gotta, you like make a really hard process for them to get in and you gotta like have really stringent demands upon them. And you just can't, you know, because otherwise if you, if you help them without, um, you know, forcing them to earn it, then, you're, you're just encouraging dependency and it's awful. And, you know, so, and, or like with parenting, we're often really encouraged to, um, have tough love for our kids. Like if your kid is not, you know, if your kid is not doing well in school, you need to like, you know, ride them and like be on them all the time and just make them know that this is really important. And what happens is you feel like, well, I'm only free to love and enjoy my kid when they have good grades. Otherwise, if I love them while they're still struggling, then that's going to make them think that struggling is okay and it's not okay. And therefore I need to like withhold relationship. And so I think it's just this, uh, this really tough space of saying, how can we not ignore challenges Mm -hmm. how can we face um conflict and problems in 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 brave ways but without feeling like um like our belongings at stake without feeling like our survival is at stake um how can we face them believing and trusting that we in of ourselves don't have enough resources, we don't have enough wisdom, but that God is faithful and God will be faithful if we come together in our lack um, and just love and enjoy one another um, today and not wait until, okay, well, when we fix this, then we'll love and enjoy each other and trust God. And I think that's just a really hard, a really hard thing to do. Yeah, it's hard to be in a space where you feel like at any moment, everything is about to fall apart. Right. And no matter how hard you work, no matter what you've done up to this point, that it doesn't matter. It's going to fall apart. Um, I remember serving a church many years ago. Uh, When I went there, 
the church had $24,000 in the bank and was running a $10,000 annual deficit. Mm-hmm. And um, I was at that church for about five years. And um, when I left, I got another call uh, um, somewhere else. And people said, oh, when you leave, it's over for that church. They're they're not going to make it. No one else is going to want to go there and pastor. And, you know, they've been struggling financially. And, I mean, that was 15 <laughs> plus years mm-hmm. ago. And they are they're doing okay. Our anxieties will, will cause us to set aside what we truly value. Right. And I think that's the point. Like I can imagine people listening to that and going like, well, it's not good enough to be doing okay. Like the church needs to be better than okay. The church needs to be excellent. The church needs to be, you know, successful. And, and I think like, that's the real question that we have to ask is what does faithfulness look like? Um, and, and, What's hard, and I think what we really have to be honest about is um, that a lot of times we just equate what the world calls successful and what the world calls valuable with faithfulness. And, you know, not knowing that the, the gospel is a scandal and it is offensive. And I think we, we want to, you know, I, I, I get the idea that we want we want to look a certain way to the world, and and some of that is just really. Um, we want to be respectable, right? And and I mean, we obviously like want to appear in such a way in the world that it would draw people to Christ, sure. right? So mm-hmm. so that, but I mean, it's not enough to look a certain way in the world. We have to actually be a certain way in the world, and so if we can't figure out how to love and accept one another when we are facing a budget crisis, then, then we don't, we're, we don't, we don't have anything to offer the world. Like everyone can be pretty good at loving one another when they're not facing an existential threat. Right. So, I mean, I think that's what I mean about saying like a lot of things that we're facing are, are difficult, are, are unjust. I mean, if you think about when the church was supremely faithful, the black church was supremely faithful um, in the civil rights movement in the sixties. And it wasn't saying like, well, um, we're going to, once we have justice, then we'll practice our faith. No, it's in the midst of this injustice, we are going to cling even more radically to the foundations of our faith. And, you know, the, the context of this great evil will make the goodness of the gospel shine so brightly. And I think, you know, right now there's, it makes sense to me, me that people walk into the church with a lot of anxiety and with a lot of questions like, am I worthy? Am I good enough? Is everything going to be okay? Are the things I love safe? And to be able to say, look, the answer to the go- the gospel's answers to those questions is you are good enough because you are made in the image of God and you are redeemed by Christ. Um, are, you know, am I, am I worthy? The answer is yes. It's not dependent upon your behavior. It's not dependent on how um, valuable you're perceived in the eyes of the world. Like the radical revelation of Christ is you are good enough and you are worthy because those things are true in Christ. And we, we believe that theologically, but we don't, 
walk that out with one another. And I think um, that that's the challenge is to be able to say, look, if you, if you can't, and again, I'm not talking about ignoring problems. And I'm certainly not talking about ignoring harmful behaviors because we can say to someone, you are good enough and you are worthy, but this harmful behavior is absolutely not acceptable in this community. And by harmful behavior, I mean like sexual impropriety. I mean um, like violence of um, any kind of physical, emotional or verbal violence. We can just say, you are acceptable, but these things aren't. But I don't know, like we were talking in our run about how the church is just such a, sometimes such a mirror of the world instead of a condemnation of it. And we're just ready to sort of center and celebrate the same people who are centered and celebrated in the world. And even inside the church, like we despise beginners and we despise people who aren't good enough. And we are so quick to sort of feel in our own self that we know where other people should be in their journey. And if we love them, it's our job to be really honest and to tell them that what they're doing isn't good enough and it's not acceptable before the Lord and, you know, you need to step up your game. And I, I know that that doesn't come from a place of evil. It doesn't come from a place of evil. It comes from a real genuine love and desire to see people flourish. But it's like that saying that like you can't dismantle the plantation with a master's tools. Like you cannot build a community of love and shalom and human flourishing using the tools of shame and condemnation and rejection. And so if those are the tools we're using, we're not going to be filled by the spirit to build the kingdom of God. Now we might build a idol factory. Um, and I, and I think that's really hard because a lot of us don't even know we have been formed by the tools of shame and condemnation and, anxiety and you can motivate people really well but to create a space where people can come in and say I am in process where people can say this is my authentic journey this is the authentic gift I have to offer to lay on the altar and that mature Christians would look at that and say there's glory in that and not only is there glory in that gift but there's glory in a community that is so grounded in Christ that we have eyes to see the sanctity of that gift. Yeah, the challenge for me is um, I can I can I can definitely preach that. I believe that. I celebrate that. Um, and then there come those times in life and ministry um, <laughs> when I show up in the church and my imperfections are on display yeah sure and that's when that's when all of those things that i have proclaimed all these values that i have lifted up about you know you're okay and god loves you and um uh you're accepted by christ redeemed by christ and it's okay you're you you can be a beginner and it's okay but when when my uh, imperfections show up when my um when my lack of gifting in certain areas shows up and is on display, man, it's really hard not to right. become anxious. And I have to be very intentional. Right. And I think not to do the thing that you're seeing in the community, right? Because the question, it's not like, oh gosh, 
I mean, really sincerely, like I know some people. Because the, the temptation grove... is to turn out. If, if, Correct. If those people would just do X, right. Y, Z, then everything would be okay. Right. And it's really it's a it's about me dealing with my own anxiety. I'm feeling, I'm feeling a certain kind of way about how things are going, and uh, if I if if I were on a therapist's couch with my feet up, I would say, you know, I'm I feel vulnerable. I feel afraid and weak and. Um, like I, I need to do better, but sometimes the way I show up is okay. No, if that person, that person would just do X, right. Y, and Z, then all these problems would go away. Well, and I think like there's this deep irony because you you are seeing anxiety in the community, and so then what you want to like <laughs> the shadow self, or you know, is to just be like, well stop being anxious, you know, instead of recognizing like, okay, on a deep level, what I'm realizing is. Um, the culture of this community is not yet where I thought it already was, right? Um, and that is not, I mean, we talk a lot about like you can't be, you, you can't be resentful um, that people need to learn and grow in the area that you were sent to serve <laughs> and facilitate that growth, right? So I think like, I think that's kind of the, sort of deep level is one of the reasons that's threatening to us and our egos when people in the church are not happy with the church is because it's not just going like, okay, I think actually things are better than you think they are, but also just saying like, ultimately I feel like, well, if, if you aren't, if you aren't sunk deep into the peace of Christ that allows you to walk through this season with real surrender, right? Like I'm going to show up, I'm going to share what I have to share. I'm going to love people and I'm going to accept that God's will will be done. And maybe God's will will be done in a way that I can anticipate and that looks good to my eyes. And honestly, maybe it won't be. And either way, God is on the throne and I'm just going to trust. But but if if people aren't showing up in that way, ultimately what that means is, oh gosh, like I have not pastored this community as well as I had hoped that I had been pastoring this community because that's just sort of the, the foundational issue. And we, we were talking on the run about like, you know, it's like that moment of Peter saying, and I mean, in no way am I suggesting that we are the stand-in for Christ in this scenario. I'm saying like, as humans, there's this moment where we're like, oh, you are the Christ. And then Jesus says, all right, great. The Holy Spirit gave you that. That's awesome. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to set my face toward Jerusalem and I'm going to walk to the cross. And Peter immediately is like, oh no, like right. that's, that's unacceptable in my eyes. It's just this idea that like sometimes what we, the way we think it has to be, the way we are so certain that the glory of God will be manifested, the way we are so certain that the fruits of faithfulness will look like is just not it's just not it. Yeah, the value, the values of the kingdom cut both ways. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, we embrace them. On the other hand, they they challenge us. Right. And I think like for us as pastors, and I think this is kind of where I am like, I know that God does not owe me a pulpit. I know that God does not owe me a church that the world would look at and celebrate as successful. Like I know that when Jesus walked this earth in supreme faithfulness, and I'm not supremely faithful by any measure, um, but when Jesus walked this earth in supreme faithfulness, his life looked 
foolish and he looked like a failure and it looked weak. And so I just, I believe (laughs) that sometimes faithfulness is manifested in those ways. Um, And so sometimes when you're, again, like it's, it's really tricky discernment because you don't want to just be like, well, nothing matters. Nothing matters. Like, (laughs) you know, if my church dies, who cares? And if no one comes to know the Lord, who cares? Because sometimes life looks like failure. I mean, to say like, I actually feel called to this work. Um, but I, I understand that I have to give what I have to give. And that ultimately at the end of the day, I, um, the only person whose faith I can sort of control is my own. And so I need to be faithful to the Lord when, you know, when I see something to go before the Lord and say like, okay, is this from you? (laughs) Is this true? What, what does it look like to be faithful knowing this? Um, I need to not avoid conflict, but I also need to recognize that, you know, nobody at the Grove is my servant. Um, So at the end of the day, if there's something some area of growth that needs to happen or repentance or change, you know, that's not between, you know, it's between each one of us and the Lord. And I think like it's that tension between recognizing that we are called to community. (laughs) And so there's a communal aspect of following Jesus, but that does not mean I am responsible for how my brother follows Jesus, or I am responsible for helping my sister, you know, express their faith in a way that looks more, um, appropriate in my eyes and just sort of like really living in the tension of both deeply caring and being willing to be involved and also recognizing that I'm nobody's savior. And my job is to be as faithful as I can and then leave the results to Jesus. Um, and I do think you know, when Jesus said, do not worry, like that wasn't, that wasn't like an optional lifestyle benefit, like worry and anxiety will kill us spiritually. And ultimately what we are is a spiritual community. So whatever challenges in front of us is a gift because it offers us a a framework within which to grow more mature in Christ. Um, so and anyway, I just, um, we were just talking about on the walk, how hard it is to not be discouraged when everyone around you is discouraged. And ultimately at the end of the day, when I get discouraged, what I know is that it's not the problem of anyone around me. (laughs) It is that I have been disoriented (laughs) and have been getting my feelings of worthiness and belonging from other people around me, from my brothers and sisters, instead of being oriented towards Christ and being able to say, look, I am not enough, but you are. (laughs) I am weak. I am imperfect. I am am a sinner. Those things are true. <laughs> and so, um, also my weakness is not more powerful than the goodness of God. And my weakness is not stronger than, 
God's omniscience and omnipotence in making the Lord's will be done. And at the end of the day, I'm too weak to make my will be done, but that doesn't matter because I don't want my will to be done. I want God's will to be done and God's will is made perfect in my weakness. And when I just center myself on that, like, look, everyone around me might be right, right? Like maybe things are just not okay. Maybe the truth is I'm not the leader for this next season. Maybe this has been this beautiful mirage and it's all going to vanish Maybe all of those things are true, which in my eyes would be the worst case scenarios. Maybe they're all true. And even if they are, God is still on the throne. And even if they are, if what I want is to be faithful to Jesus, then I still have that option. Mm. So I think that sort of sense of like, no matter what happens, by the grace of God, I have the freedom to be faithful no matter what. And when I feel like, well, I only want to be faithful if it goes this way. <laughs> and if it goes that way, I don't want to be faithful anymore. Then the problem isn't with my circumstances. The problem is with with me. And um, I need to take responsibility for that. And so that's what I'm trying to do in this season. That reminds me of something we talked about last week um, during the run. You brought up... Um, Julian of Norwich, and we were talking about her for the purposes of our sermons last week, and so I did some reading, and um, she made a statement, I, I think it's often quoted, she said something like, all things will be well. Right. Right? And, and um, that struck me last week when I was, when I was studying her life and, and her ministry, that all things will be well, not because I'm so great, so smart, so wonderful, so strong, but all things will be well because of Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think not all things are well, right? Yes. And the reason, to the extent that things are okay right now, it's because we trust and believe and know that they will be okay and that there's glimmers of that future already embedded into our present mm -hmm. and, and knowing that all things will be well. So knowing that Shalom is coming, knowing that every tear will be dried, knowing that justice will prevail, knowing that for sure is what is how we get the strength and the courage to resist the things that are anti-Christ, but promise to make us okay. And we can say both, A, I know that those things won't really deliver me life. I know that rejecting my brother won't really give me life. I know that turning a blind eye to the harm and injustice perpetrated against my sister won't really give me life. Um, and also, I know that ultimately violence and injustice will be overcome by the goodness of God. There's nothing in the world that makes me think that. But that is the revelation of the cross. And so you stand in a place saying, I believe I know what the end of the story is. And so what I'm doing right now is actually standing on the winning side. I am actually standing with the strong against the weak, even though it appears to be just the opposite. And, you know, that's why I think I just really appreciate, um, you know, the, the, vision, the, the phrase about, you know, in Christ, we're more than conquerors. Like that doesn't mean I'm an uber conqueror. Like I'm the, 
what is the I'll be back? The transform. What is that guy? Arnold Schwarzenegger in oh, the movie the Terminator. Terminator. I'm, it doesn't mean we're Terminators. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it means the world tries to make peace and connection through conquering. And we are more than conquerors. We are people who believe that only peace can make peace and only love can make love and only um, generosity can make generosity. And so that's what we're betting on. And I, I think particularly being able to value people and stages of life that everyone around us says are shameful and value less and being able to say like, no, in the body of Christ, you are worthy where you are because everything that we have is a manifestation of the goodness of God. And so we don't judge and rank one another based on the gifts that God has given us, right? Like that's foolishness. So what we are able to compete in is the ability to serve. What we are able to compete in is the ability to love one another. What we're able to compete in is the ability to show mercy and compassion to one another. We, we, we have to understand that that's our script um, and that it doesn't matter how many people belong to an institution. It doesn't matter how big the budget is. It doesn't matter how excellent the products are if the community itself is toxic. And if we can't love one another when it's hard, then we will not be able to love one another when it's easy. But if we learn how to love one another when it's hard, then when there's existential threat and we learn how to love one another, we need to learn how to say, look, we might not be able to fix this problem, but what I can do is love you while we walk it out together if we can learn how to do that now, then we will be able to be a community that resists the powers and principalities of, of evil because they won't have any threat that can scare us. Like our job is to love one another and celebrate the victory of Christ. And no matter what happens, we can do that. Yeah, I don't often quote Joyce Meyer, but um, I remember many, many years ago, I, I heard her say, people are not your problem. Yeah. People are not your problem. Yeah. And it's very easy to get into a mindset that says that person, that person, that person, they are the problem. They are my problem. And she said, nope. I mean, people are not your problem. When we are um, big Survivor fans and the new season started, have you watched it yet? I have. Of course you have. Watched. Of course you have. We watched. should talk about that. Yes. But I mean, I just always surprises me. If you don't watch Survivor, A, why? But B, (laughs) like the premise, if you don't watch it, is like this group of strangers and they're put in like a really um, primitive, like a wilderness setting and they're on what they call tribes. And so their teams are tribes and they compete in different things. And then the losing team has to vote one member of their team off. And so the next time they show up, if there's three teams of five, then the third place team has to show up at the next competition as a team of four and they have to like do all the work of surviving at their camp. They now only have four people to divide the labor. Like it's just, but it's so fascinating every time they, people show up at the challenge and a lot of times they will try to lose on purpose because they are convinced that they will be better if they just get, get rid, rid of, of someone yeah. like and it, i mean it's just fascinating every time they're Even like well there are other teams out to defeat them 
but it's the person on my team that's, that's the, the problem. biggest problem. And I think it's just so, t- I mean, it's just so human. That's why I'm so fascinated by that show is because you think, and, and the people that are on it now have been watching it for 43 seasons. So you'd think they would know, like, it. I mean, I'm not going to say it never works out that way. I can't say it never works out that way. But I mean, 99% of the time, losing somebody does not make you stronger. Mm-hmm. And I mean, but you know, I mean, not to geek out about Survivor too much, but like part of the reason that people would go back and say, well, like actually there's only one person who's going to win at the end of the game. So if I get rid of people, that makes me more likely to be the eventual winner. And that's the problem. Like we are not trying to individually win anything. I was just about to say that's a different game than we're playing. Right. We're not playing that game. Right. And so I think when we are tempted to look at the people around us and just be like, well, if that person were gone or if that person were different, we'd all be okay. It's just to recognize like, no, our salvation is bound up in one another. And the person who, who is most on your radar screen has something to teach you, but it's probably not that you're the missing piece of their relationship with Jesus. But I mean, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of a camp song that uh, we used to sing when I was a counselor at uh, kids camps way back um, in the long ago times. Um, What was that song? Oh, it said, um, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, me, oh Lord, Lord, standing in in the need of prayer. I'm the one that needs prayer. This, the challenge that we are going through, the, the, the challenges that we are facing, God has something for me, the, I, I am the clay on the potter's wheel being mm-hmm. shaped by all of this. Mm-hmm. I am the one that needs to think about how do I need to change in order to be faithful in this situation. And the impulse is to think and act as if, if everyone else would just listen to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> then all would be well. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't need to adjust. Everyone else needs to adjust. Right. And I do think it's really important that there are people who are easily and often and historically excluded and unheard. And so there are people whose voices need to be centered more sure. than they are. That, that is very true. So, I mean, I think this is a, this is a both and not an either or, but still, even if you belong to a, you know, if you are a person whose voice is often silenced, your voice needs to be heard. And, and still there's a way for you to be faithful that is not dependent on someone else's faithfulness. I think that, and that's where the existential anxiety comes in is like, oh my gosh, if they don't get their act together, then this whole community will be messed up or my, I'll missed out. Like, no, the Lord is sufficient for us individually. And then the Lord calls us into community because we were made to have limits and to need one another. And those places of tension are the places of blessing. I think, I really think that in ways that I don't yet understand. Yeah. In times of crisis in the, in the church, uh, what, um, is revealed, about me that's still unfortunately lodged deep in my soul is that I want to show up as the rescuer. Mm -hmm. I want to show up as the fixer. I want to show up 
and say, okay, gang, let's do this, this, and this, and all will be well. And I, I, I deeply just want to, to show up in that way. Um, and when I, when I just bump up against this wall of sometimes I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I am just as disoriented as God's people. That is really difficult for me to deal right, with. Because, because spoiler alert, you are God's people. And what? so am I. I know, right? But I mean, I do think sometimes one of the most um, powerful gifts we can give our communities is to be unashamed of our limits, right? It's just to show up unapologetically as a frail and limited human who says, I have these gifts to offer, but not those. Um, I, I'm this far in my journey, but not that far. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, no one can depend on me, but we can depend on Jesus together. And again, we don't get to control the outcome, but we do get to seek God's grace to discern what does it mean to love one another well in the midst of our becoming. And sometimes loving one another well means having generative conflict, right? And I, and that's something that I, you know, just want to confess. Like sometimes I'm worried I'm going to lose the relationships. And so I don't tell the truth. Um, but you know, what does it mean to love one another? Well, because I think a lot of times if we can just ground it in the fact of like, I see you and you belong and you're worthy and your gift and your presence and your participation is valuable. And then the rest is up to God. And that is way above my pay grade. Mm, mm. Mm. We're out of time because you're going to go pick up your kids. So um, thank you for listening to this very special episode of, I feel like it's like the after school special of ABC. <laughs> this, this very special episode on anxiety. <laughs> and uh, We I, said we had two things, but we didn't get to the second. Well, we were going to talk about the cross. So yeah. that was, oh, well check in next week. Um, if you want to find out more about what God is doing at God's church, Derida, mm-hmm. God's people, Derida, you can go to their website, which is www.deridachurch.faithlifesites.com. You got it. Amen. <laughs> and you can also join them for worship at 11 a.m. And you can search and find the Derida Church podcast on Podbean website and you can check out their YouTube channel and you should. And if you want to find out more about what God is doing at The Grove, you can go to our website, which is thegrovecharlotte.org. You can check out our podcast, The Grove Church Podcast. It's really cute. The tree is wearing earphones. It's really sweet. And uh, our YouTube channel, um, you can worship with us at 10. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.